I'm glad you're here and uh, welcome. Welcome to New Hope Church. Uh, my name is Brandon, I'm the pastor here, and we, uh, we're in our series, Ology, and, and uh, we're, we're at the final one, right? Which, uh, which is a little bittersweet. Here's what that means. You guys, if you've come to you know, all eight of these, you've gotten a pretty good dose of theology. Um, the, the bitter part is like, oh, we're done. That's it. We will never talk about theology ever, ever again. That's it. Um, no, I, I'm actually joking. Uh, so you, uh, on your, the seat that either you're sitting on or next to you, you probably saw this when you got it. Maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you didn't realize you're sitting on a card. But uh, if you want to pull this out, um, this, this is our next series. So here's the deal. This is, this is uh, I, you don't know this, but I tested you. I, I gave you a test in this series, and, um, and, and the test is this. Is there anything we're leaving out that we haven't talked about in this series? And I was actually, I, and I intentionally did this ahead of time, said, I'm going to see. I'm going to see if anyone even notices that we left out an entire ology and see what they think. And wouldn't you know it, I got an email from one guy, one faithful, studious guy and he, this was his email. His whole email was, what about the Holy Spirit? Question mark. <laughs> was it, right? And I'm like, oh. And I remember uh, um, the, my admin, uh, Marilee, who's awesome. She goes, hey, what do we do with this? Like, they just sent this thing. And like, how do you, and I'm like, I, I got excited. I'm like, yeah, finally, someone, someone realized, like, we, yes, we skipped this whole thing. And it was intentional because, and I, I was so excited to email him back. Usually I get emails and sometimes like, okay, here we go. This was like, ooh, buddy, well done. You did it. Congrats. And, and here's the deal. We, we skipped over a, a, an ology called pneumatology. Pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. And it's the study of the Holy Spirit. And the reason is because, and I said this to him, um, there, there's so much about the Holy Spirit that it didn't seem fair or right to say, we'll just devote one week to it. Instead, we're doing an entire series. So the very next series starting next week is Holy Spirit. We're spending three weeks talking specifically about the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? Are you excited? Okay. Um, the Holy Spirit, we can, here's just a little, a little preview, is, uh, is often the, um, Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God, and it's a perfect title because it, he literally is like forgotten. And, and so we're talking about the Holy Spirit because he's easily, easily the most neglected, the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. And so starting next week, we spend three weeks talking specifically about the Holy Spirit and, and, and kind of continuing our ology series into pneumatology, but specifically now about him. So, um, so that starts next week. You should be excited, show up for that, invite people. It's gonna be great. So um, that starts next week. But today... Today, we finish our ology series with, um, uh, with probably the most, uh, the most debated and, and certainly argued of the ologies. We're talking now specifically today about the end times. It, it, of, all of, the, of all of the things in the scriptures, this is the thing that, that, um, 
that, that causes us either to throw our hands up and say, well, pff, I can't know, so why try? Or we get really into it, or we get really scared, and so we don't want to talk about it. Whatever, what, whatever we are in our understanding of end times, um, you, uh, it's hard not to have at least some sort of reaction. You can't be really neutral. What we're gonna talk about today is maybe some stuff you haven't heard before, haven't realized, but it's like the Bible is very specific and very, uh, um, and very honest about what's, happen- what's gonna happen, and, uh, and, and, and it's alarming. And, and it's also like there's a, a shocking amount of detail that we're given. So I wanna start by saying this. If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, would you be ready to meet him? If you knew, if I could tell you, now I, I'm not, right? Then this is like, like the easiest way to guarantee Jesus isn't coming back is to say he is, because then he's like, well, now I can't come back that day, right? I got to find a new day. So, so like, it's probably not tomorrow, but, but let's just assume we could know that tomorrow Jesus was coming back. Are you ready? Would you be excited? Some of us, I think, would be, you would say, you would, uh, your sentiment would be how Revelation ends. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Yes. Tomorrow? Oh, okay, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. You just, like, I'll, you tell me when, I'll make sure I'm dressed, ready to go. <laughs> Others of us might say, there's still some things I want to do. Not tomorrow, not tomorrow. Just a little bit longer. Like, maybe like three years, give me three years. And then, and then I'll be ready. Still, maybe some of us would say, I'm not ready at all to meet Jesus. Like for him to come back and for this whole thing to be done. And like, like for that moment, I am, I'm definitely not ready. So today we look at eschatology, the study of end times. And and I want you to be thinking about um, uh, if this were to happen sooner than later, if this happened in your lifetime, are you ready? And we'll talk about what that means and like like how do you get ready? Like how does one prepare for for the the return of Jesus? But I want you to be thinking in terms of, of like how this, how this affects me, not just some theological exercise and intellectual thinking of, of like, well, I just want to make sure my timeline's right and I want to be able to know what happens when and, then, and I want to get the right sequence right. And, and like there, there's, there's profit in that and trying to figure it out, but, but that's not the point. The point isn't so that we say, I got it right. The, the goal isn't that you one day get in front of Jesus and you're like, Jesus, I nailed it. I nailed your timeline. I figured it out. No one else did, but I got it. That's not the goal when we look at end times is to say like, I got it. The goal is to say, okay, how am I ready for this? Am I ready for this? Are my family members ready for this? Who who isn't ready for Jesus? How can I make sure and help them get ready to one day meet Jesus? Here's the first thing we're gonna see. When we talk about eschatology, uh, we're gonna look at what Jesus says. We're gonna look at what Paul says. We're gonna bounce all over the place. We're gonna, there's a a bunch of scriptures. Um, But here's the first thing we're gonna see. 
Jesus is coming back and everyone will see it. This isn't some private event only for a select few. This isn't some secret thing that, that happens in some distant country that, that we don't know about. When we talk about the return of Jesus, when we talk about eschatology and the study of end times, it, it begins here with this, this like uh, this, we'll look at a timeline here in a second, but it, it, it's all centered around this return of Jesus. And, and this isn't something that will happen that we will miss. There's other religions that, that have actually talked about this, that Jesus already came back. Depending on the faith and, and or even like the denomination that you're a part of, or, or, or you know, uh, sometimes we could even say some cults are really big into this. Um, they, they will say that Jesus came back uh, in uh, one, there's one that says he came back in 1916, but it was a spiritual awakening. It was a, he came back spiritually. We didn't see him. No, no, no. That's not what we read in the scriptures. This thing is gonna be visible and it's gonna be seen and experienced by everyone. It's often referred to as the second coming of Christ and it's, this event is clearly spelled out in scripture. In fact, it's, it's written about by all the New Testament writers. If there's someone who wrote a book of the New Testament, at some point in their writings, they talked about this event. It's mentioned in 23 of the 27 New Testament letters. This isn't just like a, a, a you know, like a, a secondary event that's like, oh, one day this thing will happen too, but that's not really the focus of what we're talking about. We're talking about other stuff. No, no, no. This is written about by all the writers. Like this is written about a lot. This is, this is, this is quite an important event. Jesus himself referred to his return, ready for this? 21 times. 21 times throughout the gospels, he's talking about, hey, listen, when the son of man comes, when I come back, when you see the son of man coming on clouds of glory, like he talked about it a lot. He, did Jesus know he was coming back? Oh, you better believe he knew he was coming back and knew some specifics around it. The most detailed description we get is found in Matthew 24 and 25. If you're taking notes, you wanna do some homework later, uh, write that down, 24, Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus is, is talking specifically and just to, uh, to his disciples about what this whole, like what it's all gonna look like. And, and, and we don't have time to certainly read all of it, but here's, what, here's the kind of the crux of what Jesus says. In Matthew 24, verse 30, he says this, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Son of Man was a title he used for himself. It was a, a title we first read about in Daniel. If you were here for the summer, remember we went through Daniel, this, this title Son of Man was an important, uh, uh, an important title for, for this Messiah figure. And Jesus says, by the way, I'm here, the Son of Man, that's me. And then it says this, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. The, the return of Jesus, as excited and, as, and as, maybe as much as we're looking forward to it, oh, it's gonna be characterized not by joy, but with mourning. And, and, and not like us mourning, but the entire world will mourn when Jesus comes back. It says that the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
Now, now this, this actually makes sense, right? Why? Why do you think, why? How could it be? Jesus is coming back, yay, hooray. And, and everyone is mourning. Here's why, ready? Because they know he was right and they were not. <laughs> and it means things. There are implications. When, when you don't believe in Jesus and you think this is all a joke and you think his religion is just fairy tale, and then all of a sudden, there he is. Oh, man. My entire life, my entire focus, everything, everything was wrong. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living your entire life denying something and then finding out it's true and then realizing, oh, I've wasted it all. The proper response, we could say, certainly is mourning. And then it says this, and he, Jesus, the Son of Man, will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, north, south, east, west, from one end of the heavens to the other. So um, when, we, when we look at end times, there, um, there's a number of things we'll look at because it's kind of like putting a, a puzzle together. There's no one passage that says, this is how everything will work out. So what we do is we say, all right, Jesus, what did you say about your return? Paul, what did you say about Jesus' return? Because you, you have a lot to say about it. So what Jesus taught about his return, he promised his disciples he would come again. But before his return, there would be what he called birth pains. You, uh, if you've had a, a children, you know what birth pains are. Uh, uh, it's, these, are the, uh, these are the things that happen before the thing. That's the technical term of, especially when you give birth, the thing before the thing. That's, that's how the men describe it. They, were you there for the thing? I, yeah, the things, all the things. I was there and it was a thing. So Jesus talks about these birth pains, these, these events that will be painful, but it, it's not the event itself. And then he talks about the signs of the end. And so it's almost like he's giving us a map to say, here's when you know you'll get closer. Like, do you remember um, when you were a kid, uh, you play this game like hotter or colder and you're like warmer, 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 colder, 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 ice cold, up, turn, warm, warm. It's almost like Jesus is saying, all right, I'm gonna tell you when you're getting warmer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some, some, some signs that you'll know when you're getting closer to this time. So here they are. I'll just put them, put them all on the screen, the, the birth pains. He said, and this all comes out in Matthew 24, and then, uh, and then he writes about it in 25, or said, talks about it in 25. It says this, there will be wars, famine, Earthquakes and pestilence, okay? We get that. We understand that. Wickedness, he talks about, will increase. There will be fearful events and, and signs from heaven. That there will be natural disasters that, that seem to increase. People will be deceived by many false messiahs, he talks about. Believers in Christ will be persecuted and killed. Believers will be witnesses of Jesus to kings, he says. And then he gives this, this is a, a terrible critique. Many will turn away from the faith. And many who, who are in the faith will actually will leave it. Oof. And there will be betrayals by parents, brothers, and friends. Now, now these are the birth pains. Everything on there, ready for this? 
we've been experiencing for how many, hundreds of years, thousands, we could say. So we've actually been in the birth pains for a while, right? So if we're doing this game of like, well, colder, warmer, we're, we're, we're warmer. We're getting there. We're, we're looking at this list and we're saying, check, 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 check. Yep, boy, okay. Jesus, we might be in that now. The, the birth pains, the getting close to this, this event, whatever it is. And then he talks about, now here's, these are the birth pains. Now, now he talks about the signs of the end. He says there will be a sign and, and here they are, ready? Here's what's gonna happen. Here's when you're gonna know when it's really close. So there's the birth pains and then there's the, okay, here it comes. We're almost at the event. He says this, Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. Okay, now it's very specific. Right now, Jerusalem surrounded by armies? No, I mean, it has been in the past. And so there's been times when we're, okay, is this it? Could this be the moment? No, that wasn't it. All right, so hold on, we're still waiting. He says this, he mentions this abomination which causes desolation or the abomination of desolation will stand in the holy place. Daniel talked about this. Jesus talks about this. We see it in Revelation. We see Paul write about it. Whatever this, this thing is, this abomination of desolation, this man, this person who does this thing, this is a big event. This is a big marker that, that okay, when this thing happens, now we're right there. This this abomination of desolation. We'll talk about this a little bit more when we look at what Paul says about this. But that, that experience, that event is a big deal. Jerusalem, he says, will be trampled on by Gentiles, probably overrun, lost to the Jews. Okay. The sun will darken, the moon will not shine, and the stars will fall. Okay, now we're getting to things that, that we could say, these haven't happened yet. But when they do, we realize... We're getting there. We're get, this is now we are close. It says this, false prophets will perform signs and miracles. Severe ocean activity will disturb the nations. In, um, I believe it's Luke, uh, Luke 21, um, uh, Jesus is talking about this experience and he, and he talks about these oceans and, and how literally the world is as is, is, uh, is, is confused as to why this is happening why the oceans are raging. They don't understand it, but it's, it's, it's destroying everything. Jesus talks about this sign that's, this is a sign that the end is coming. People, then it says, people will, will faint with terror. Ooh. This is not a good, like, enjoyable experience. This is, this is God now Judge, about to judge the world. And then we say, we see this, that there's a trumpet will sound and, and the angels will gather God's elect. God, the angels will gather the church. And then Jesus comes. Now, this, the, the birth pains, we could say, yeah, we're, we're experiencing, we have been for a while. These though, these signs Ooh, no, th this seems future because we could go down that list and say, no, I, I mean, we can maybe fit one of those or two of those, but, but these haven't all happened. I can tell you this though, too. If these do start happening, get ready. 
get ready. Because that, that's the Lord saying, warmer, warmer, war, hot, hot. If you're not ready, I'm coming, right? Ready, like, ready or not, here I come. Like, literally, I'm coming. Be ready. So we see that, that Jesus, Jesus has a lot to say about his return and, and, he, and he, he gives us all this information so we know ahead of time. Um, there, are, there are a few schools of thought and we're gonna look at a, a, a few of them here in a second. Um, uh, ooh, I don't even know. I'll bring it up. I might as well, right? Uh, and and this, may, this may mess with you a little bit and that's fine because that's... It's, uh, personal hobby of mine is just to mess with you. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's generally two schools of thought with regard to can Jesus come back at any moment? Some will say Jesus' return is imminent, meaning it can literally happen at any moment, right now. Like at a moment's notice, Jesus can just show up. That the, what we're, we're gonna look at here in the, this thing called the rapture here in a second, but it can happen at any moment, at any moment. So be ready, right? It's one school of thought. And, and I'm, I imagine there's a number of us would say like, yeah, that's true. And then there's another school of thought that says, no, 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 that um, the return of Jesus is, they would use the word impending, but not imminent, meaning it, it, it's the events that lead to it can happen, but, but it itself, the rapture itself, things have to happen first. Before Jesus comes back, there has to be certain things that happen. And, and the reason there's disagreement is because um, there's, no, there's no one scripture in the, in, the, in the Bible that says like, this is, this is how it's going to happen. In fact, what we're told is Jesus says, no one knows the day or hour, not, not even the angels, not even the son of man, just God. But that, that also doesn't mean though that we don't recognize the signs. So, so Jesus talks about his return and he gives us some signs, some roadmaps. Now, Paul also talks um, quite a bit about, about the return of Jesus. So what does Paul say? Um, Paul writes about it in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and it, gets, it gets even more specific about some of the timeline of events. Are you with me so far? We good? We tracking? More or less? That was... <laughs> That was great, actually. That was a really good joke. That was the funniest thing you've ever said, sir. Uh, if you guys remember Pastor Randy, that was one of the things he said all the time. That's, so that, 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 that joke went back like seven years. That was good. So Paul, Paul talks about the return of Jesus in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. In fact, um, uh, first and second Thessalonians are probably the earliest letters, some of the earliest letters that Paul wrote, which is why they're shorter. So he writes a few letters and, uh, and then, um, which is why like Romans and first Corinthians are longer because he's like, we got way more problems to deal with here. So he starts with first Thessalonians, he writes it and, and, uh, and people are excited about it. And then he realizes he, um, he created unintentional, an, an unintentional response. So he has to write second Thessalonians. Because in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about the return of Jesus, so much so that the Christians quit their jobs and sat around and waited for him to return. So they stopped. They're like, he's coming. Okay, you talked about him returning. He's coming. Listen, listen I don't need to work anymore. What's the point? What's the point? 
Jesus is coming back. This this is going to all be gone anyways. None of this is mine. I'm just going to wait for him every day. So he's like, oh, shoot. That's not what was supposed to. It's not what I'm... What I, what, I, what I intended when I told you that wasn't that you would quit life and wait. So he writes 2 Thessalonians. He's like, all right, guys, listen, go back to work. He literally says, go back to work. In fact, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So please go back to work, right? So he writes these though, and he talks specifically about the return of Jesus. Here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He says, listen, I I want you to know what's gonna happen because I don't want you to grieve like everyone else. They don't have hope. For, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That Jesus is going to bring back everyone, all of our loved ones who have died, who are, who, are, who are in Christ, who are followers of Jesus. He says, hey, we believe this. This is, this is our hope, that, that he's going to bring them back. That when he comes, they come with him. And then he says this, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the, the voice of, of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And then it says this, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have, who have died in the past will, will rise up, a resurrection, when Jesus comes back. This is a, an, an incredible event. And, and those who have died, they get to meet him first. Like they get first dibs, right? So like if you're alive when Jesus comes back, you have to wait your turn, Right? And because you don't go to the front of the line, like you might think like, awesome, there he is. You're like, oh, all right, hurry it up, hurry it up. Like I want my turn. So the dead in Christ rise first. And then it says this, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be, and this is an important word here, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This, this word caught up is where we get the word rapture. It's not the word rapture. We'll talk about it in a second. The word rapture doesn't exist in scripture, but we'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. So, so that the, those who are still alive when Jesus comes back will be caught up in the air together with all of them. So like we all have this, this wonderful reunion and, and, and in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says this, therefore encourage one another with these words. The reason I'm telling you this is so that you would be encouraged and would encourage other people because you have family members who've passed away. Listen, this is not the end. This is, be encouraged. This is not, death is not the end. So Paul talks about this this caught up, this being caught up where we get the word rapture. This is the only place in the scriptures where we have a reference to this this thing, this a word for this event called the rapture. We try and make it fit other places, but this is the only spot. Doesn't occur, the word rapture doesn't occur in scripture. Instead, it's the Greek word harpazo. And it literally means um, uh, to grab or to suddenly remove or gain control of. So it's to take over. The reason we get the word rapture is because um, uh, throughout a lot of theological study and throughout time, um, 
uh, a lot of scripture was translated and used in Latin. And the Latin word is raptura, which is where we get the word rapture. So it's the Latin version of this Greek word harpazo, and it's where we get this word rapture. It literally means to grab or seize or carry away. So, so what we get in this passage is Paul saying that those who are, who are left, who are left behind or, or still alive, not left behind, but still alive, left behind I get is like a trigger word when we talk about, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, uh, how many of you guys read the Left Behind series? Yeah, good. Okay, you've, you've been ruined. You've been... You, <laughs> You have only one understanding of what could happen, and, uh, and you're right, and so here we go. Um, so, so, that, so Paul talks about those who are still alive being caught up, harpazo, or raptured, together with everyone else to meet the Lord in the sky. And then we see this. We see that the Lord, Jesus, will descend, he talks about, that he comes down. In fact, we're gonna see in, uh, in Acts that he's going to come down the same way he went up at the, end, uh, at the end of the Gospels. And it says, if the dead in Christ will rise first, the living will be caught up with them in the clouds and meet the Lord to be with him forever. And so he says, don't believe those who say the, door, the day of the Lord has already come. Don't believe them. And then he says this, that experience, that day will be preceded by a couple of things. Now he's going to talk specifically about this, this abomination of desolation that he refers to as the, the man of lawlessness. So the day of the Lord will be preceded by two things. First, rebellion. And then second, the, the revealing of this man of lawlessness he talks about. Now, now we're getting into some like, okay, Paul, this is getting eerie and very specific, but also really, really important. So this man of lawlessness shows up and here's what we find out about him from Paul. Um, we read about this in Daniel. If you remember when we went through Daniel, I talked about this, this experience, this moment, this, this abomination that causes desolation. The man of, of lawlessness will oppose and exalt himself over God. He will set himself up in God's temple. He will proclaim to be God. He will be accompanied by satanic counterfeit Miracles. He will deceive those who do not love the truth. Yet in the end, he will be overthrown and destroyed when Jesus comes. So this man of lawlessness shows up. He commits this act in, in uh, what, what most would say are in the temple. So he probably, this is probably what happens. The temple is rebuilt. Right now, there is no temple in Jerusalem. Uh, if you go to Jerusalem, you can see, you can go visit the, uh, the well, I don't know if you can. I think you can now. I think they've reopened it. If, uh, but it's like, they'll probably close it tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but if you go, if you take a trip, eventually at some point we'll go on another trip. Um, you can go to the Temple Institute and, and you can see the plans that they have for the next temple. I mean, they have, they have all the blueprints. They have all, of the, they have all the funding. Everything's ready to go. They even have a lot of the items that are gonna go in it. You can see this huge, like, like the 12, 10, 12 foot menorah, pure gold. That's like, we're ready. We're ready to do this. We're ready to rebuild this temple. There's only one thing that's in the way, that darn mosque. It's right where it goes. So that mosque has got to come down, a temple rebuilt, 
um, if, if you know anything about world politics, that's a problem. <laughs> that will create an issue when that happens. Um, you could see then the world then being at war and, and like it, it creating all kinds of, of, uh, of, of issues between, between countries and fighting and all. I mean, this, that would do it. That would do it. This, this temple is rebuilt and then this, this man of lawlessness, uh, what's his name in Left Behind? It's uh, Nikolai something, right? Yeah, yeah, they made that up. That's not his real name. Uh, Nikolai... Um, Car, car, that's right, Carpathia, car, Carpathio, car, car, it's fake, Mr. Fake Man. Uh, uh, we don't know who this guy is. We, we, uh, we, we kind of, because, uh, because of what we read in Daniel, we have an idea that he might be um, Italian or from at least from like, uh, from, uh, he has some connection to ancient Rome of some kind. Um, and so this guy, steps up on the scene and he's a political leader and, and um, a mastermind and he deceives people and he, he has incredible power and he becomes the guy in charge. And he sets up this, this, um, this, this, this grand gesture in the temple where he declares himself to be God and to be worshiped. And then everyone, everyone has to get this mark. You've heard of this mark of the beast, right? Uh, Revelation talks all, all about this, um, and, and, it, and it starts with this, this person, this guy, who's this world leader, who's, you're going to now uh, take this mark to be able to live your life. And if you choose not to, it will be bad. It will be bad for you. If you do, great. Rewards, blessings, wonderful. So this man of lawlessness sets himself up to be God, to be in charge, and, and Jesus says this, all of this happens. This, this, Paul talks about this. this. This happens as part of the return of Jesus. Now, Revelation, uh, we're going to move, we're going to now skip forward past the tribulation experience. We'll go through it. I'm going to give you a, some tentative, some, some possible timelines so that in your mind it can at least work out and you can say like, okay, I'm not there yet. Good, I don't have to worry about it. But, but in Revelation, we, uh, Revelation 20, we get this, this, uh, this time period known as the, the millennial reign of Jesus. Maybe you've heard of this. You can go read Revelation 20 today and, and, and walk away and probably be more informed you are now, but also like, wow, this is gonna be intense. Um, Revelation 20 talks about a thousand year period in which Jesus actually, where Christ actually reigns on earth as like the, the leader. Like uh, he's in charge and he, and he reigns and he's, in, he's, he's like visible. Like there he is. He's in charge. This millennial reign. Now, there are three dominant views of the end times with regard to the millennium. And we're gonna go through these fairly quickly Honestly, and I'm not just saying this as like, you know, a joke. Honestly, only one makes the most sense. Though historically, there's been a number of Christians that have believed in all of them. The first is premillennialism, where Christ returns before the millennium. Jesus comes and then he ushers in this thousand year reign. This is the most natural reading of Revelation 20, where you just say, okay, just timeline in order. Here's what it seems to be saying. The second is all millennialism, where there's no literal thousand-year reign. We're actually in it right now. That, that, that we're part of this thousand-year, like, 
Like, you, good job, you made it, right? And, and they would say that the church actually represents this, that Jesus came back spiritually already, and now we're living in the millennial reign, which, which, which is kind of a bummer because that means this is as good as things get. <laughs> That's not encouraging at all. And then there's this post-millennialism where Christ returns after the millennium. And this is probably, uh, of the three views, this is the minority view. In the fact, there's not many uh, theologians today who would, who would wholeheartedly lean into this one. Uh, so, so where we land, where I, certainly where I land, is this pre-mill view that Jesus comes back and then he ushers in this, this millennial reign. Um, but before, before that, this thing called the tribulation happens. This is this seven-year period of judgment on the world. It's described extensively in Revelation. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24. He says this, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the church, for the sake of those who are saved, those days will be cut short. For the sake of us, Jesus says God's gonna actually, he's gonna make sure that those days don't continue forever. So putting it all together, ready? Here we go. This idea of the rapture uh, comes out in, uh, in Paul's writing in Thessalonians. And there's a few other passages where it seems to be alluded to or people at least try to make it fit. And there's, there's what do you know? There, there's not just three options for the millennium. There's three options for the tribulation, okay? I, I'm, please don't, don't uh, I don't wanna lose you right now, but, but this is an important thing here. So there's this, there's a pre-tribulation view in which the rapture happens where we meet Jesus before the seven-year period. This is what we want to be true. Yes, come Lord Jesus, right? This is the one where like, yes, uh, you know, all my chips go on that one. Please, Lord, please. Even if I'm wrong, I want to be right. <laughs> then there's the second view, which is this mid-tribulation or often referred to as pre-wrath where the church is raptured before, before the, before the, or before the, the final three and a half years of the tribulation, that, that the first three and a half years are relatively peaceful and then the church is raptured and then, it's, and then the tribulation, the, the great tribulation happens. And then there's the post-tribulation, which is that the rapture happens after. So we go through these charts. If you go back to the first one. Um, the the pre-trib looks like this. So the tribulation is in blue there, seven years. The rapture happens. We, uh, the world goes through the great tribulation. This is the Left Behind series. So if you read Left Behind, this is the perspective of the Left Behind. The return of Jesus is broken into two parts. The rapture at the beginning of the seven-year period and then his return at the end of the seven-year period. At the end of the seven-year period, then comes the millennial thousand-year reign. At the end of that is what's often referred to as the final judgment and then the eternal state. So the final judgment, this is the thing that, that uh, this is the thing that we should be, that your entire life should be focused on. You should be, you should be preparing for that moment. The final judgment is where God finally says, all right, you, I knew you. You were a follower of my son. Welcome, enjoy everything I prepared for you. Or he says, depart from me. I didn't know you. 
that happens at that moment, at the end, when all of us get a resurrected body and all the, everything is done and then we finally come to the final judgment where it's, this is it. This is where everything's decided. This is where my, my eternity is decided in this moment. And then after that, we go into what's called the eternal state where, where in Revelation, God makes a new heavens and a new earth, a forever heaven and earth. And, and at that point, you are in your spot. You are where you are forever. That's it. So if you, uh, if you are a pre-trib, this is what the timeline looks like. If you are a mid-trib, which, uh, which there are a number of people who would say like, how do we kind of synthesize both? Well, halfway through, you get raptured. So it's the same timeline, but you just, you, you suffer through for three and a half years. Like that's kind of, it's kind of a bummer. Still not the full, like it, still not all bad news, just half bad news. And then there's the post-trib view, which... Uh, which, which this is the one that you're like, I don't, I don't like, I don't want that. I don't, let's just not have that as an option. The post-trib view is actually the probably, um, it's the one that was believed by most of the early Christians. They believed that they were gonna experience the great tribulation. Um, and, and, and so the church goes through this great tribulation and then is uh, at the, the second coming of Jesus is one event where the rapture and the second coming happens at one, at one time and then ushers in the millennium and then the final reign and then the eternal state. Now, I'm not gonna tell you which one is, I know which one's right. I'm gonna let you decide what, what, uh, when Jesus is coming, all right? Uh, here's the deal though. This, this, one, this, this tribulation thing has created so many disputes and disagreements. I know of church splits over this. I know of universities that won't hire certain professors if they don't have the right view of the tribulation of the rapture. Um, here, can we be honest? Here's, here's the honest truth. We did this with, when we looked at Daniel. We have a good guess, but we don't know. Listen, whatever you believe about this, okay, ready for this? Whatever you believe about the tribulation and the end times and what's going to happen and when and, and are we in it right now and, and like, like or, or is it still like years or decades away? Whatever you believe, ready? Whatever you believe about it, it changes nothing about it. Whatever you believe, whatever you want to be true doesn't change any bit of it. What we see is that God's going to do what God's going to do whether you believe it or understand it or, or predicted it or didn't think about it, it's gonna happen when it's gonna happen, whenever that is. So your job then is not to try to figure out like the day or the hour or the when, but instead to say, all right, am I ready? Am I ready to meet Jesus? And here's how you know, ready? Here's how you know if you're ready. Have you placed your faith in him or not? That's it. I, I've talked to the number, number of people about end times and, you know, as you can imagine um, that this topic is, is, there's a ton to study, a ton to look at. We're just barely scraping the surface. But there's a lot of people who are like, man, we need to, we need to get ready. You need to, you need to prepare. You need to do all this stuff. Like we need, everyone needs to prepare. And, and my response is always, how do you do that? What does preparation look like? And there's really only one answer. Ready? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? 
If the answer is, I don't know, I don't, uh, maybe, I, I, don't, I don't think so, or no, then, then, then listen, ready? Then you're not ready. Then if Jesus comes back tomorrow, you will be part of the mourning group, those who mourn at the sight of Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, then guess what? You're ready. You are ready. When Jesus comes back, all right, Lord, I want to meet you. I, I, I'll wait my turn. That's fine. I just, I, I want a ticket. I don't have to be first in line, but I want to be in the line to meet you and to be with you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are ready. Here's the last thing we're going to see. Jesus, Jesus coming back gives me hope in God's plan. So I should, I should trust in it. Why does, why does, like, what's the point of all this? Like, why does God even tell us this? Why is Jesus even giving us a heads up, right? I mean, part of it, like, ignorance is bliss. Like, I just don't want it. If I just don't know, it's actually easier or better. I think there's a few reasons. First, it's easier to, to endure hardship when you know it's coming. Knowing a hardship is coming lets you prepare and say, okay, this won't take me by surprise. I'm ready. Whatever that is, whatever the future is, whatever it looks like, all right, I'll learn to recognize it and, and, I, and, and have faith that this is, this is happening how God wants it to, how he told me it would. And the second is this, that we can have hope. Millard Erickson, a, a theologian, he writes this, the second coming is the basis of the Christian's hope. The one event that will mark the beginning of the completion of God's plan. It's the thing that we look forward to and say, in the end, one day, right now, listen, the world is crazy, right? I mean, and it feels like it's getting crazier every day. You turn on the news and you're like, yep, still crazy. And, and, and it's not getting any better. But what gives us hope is that we know well, one day, in the end, Jesus does come back and he sets up his kingdom. And in the end, all wrongs will be made right. And he, he will be in charge, all right? We rest, we rest and we wait for that day and it may be two years, it may be 20 years, it may be another 200 years, it may be 2,000 2, more years. But eventually at some point, Jesus comes back and makes everything right. So I wanna end with this. When will this happen? All right, Lord, you told us. Now what? Can you tell me when? Uh, wouldn't you know it that the disciples asked Jesus the same thing? And, and, and they asked it after he had been, been crucified and resurrected. And, and we read about this in, actually in the book of Acts, right before Jesus is gone forever from them, uh, from for when he's ascended to the Father. Right, they, they spent a little bit of time with him at the end. And, and, and right before he leaves, they ask him, and we read about this in Acts chapter one. It says, on one occasion while, they were, while, they, while he was eating with them, what a great experience. Like the resurrected Jesus is like, hey, you pass a salad, please. <laughs> like, awesome. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which is what you heard about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he says, wait here. Listen, Holy Spirit's coming, Right? And then it says this, they got excited, verse six. Then they, they gathered around him, they come around and asked, all right, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? Listen, 
at this time now? Is this when you do it? Like, is this when everything happens? Like all the stuff where you're in charge and you, you get rid of the Romans and you put us back in charge. Is it now? Is it the Holy Spirit's kind of like in a few days? Guys, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And it says this. He said to them, it is not for you to know. Dang it. <laughs> It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then it says, after this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a, and a cloud hid them from their sight. And then it says this, when they were looking up at the sky as he was going, Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Here's what we see. Right before the end, the disciples are like, now, is it now, is it now? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. As much as you want to, it's not for you to know. It's not for us to know. But here's what you do. Here, here's what you do. Ready? You go preach the gospel. Be his witnesses. He says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the whole, the, all the earth. Here's what we see. Until Jesus comes back, I have a great mission to live out. You have a great mission to live out. And the mission isn't to try and figure out when he's coming, but to say, you know what? He's not here today, so there's still time. I can still share the gospel today. There's still people who need Jesus today. I still have friends that need Jesus, family members that need Jesus, neighbors, coworkers that need Jesus. So my job, my mission, your mission is to share the gospel. Until Jesus comes back, until that day, until we run out of time, we share the gospel. It's, as, it's almost as though these two angels are looking at these disciples like, what are you waiting for? Why are you wasting time looking at the sky, waiting to see what's gonna happen. Jesus just left, I, are you gonna come back? And they say, hey, 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 what are you doing? It's time to get to work. It's time to get to work. Jesus is gonna come back just like he left, but until that day, ready? He just gave you a mission. He gave you a purpose. It's the same purpose for us. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? And we're gonna, we're gonna worship the Lord together and we're gonna sing uh, specifically about, about Jesus coming back. Um, and, and I want you to be thinking about this in your life. Two things. Number one, am I ready to meet him? My, you personally, ready to meet him. And number two, who in your life isn't yet ready to meet him? Who, who in your life that, you, I need to be praying for them. I need to be thinking about how I can be a witness, how I can share the gospel, because they, ah, they don't know Jesus yet. Would you bow with me? So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Jesus, that you have it all figured out. And though we, we know a, at least a glimpse of what's gonna happen, we have some specifics, some details, we don't even wanna pretend to think that we have everything figured out. Instead, we rest and we trust in you and your timing. And I pray that all of us would be ready to meet you and that we would be thinking about others who as of right now aren't ready to meet you. Lord, reveal in us how we can 
share the gospel with them? And will you put in our heart a a deep desire to see the gospel transform their lives? We worship you now, Jesus.